Hi, everyone. Welcome to the IE Ion Industry Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about wood, or to be more accurate, lumber. Lumber has been in the news a lot these days, mostly because of its price, which despite a recent sell-off, has outperformed gold as a commodity over the past five months. As we'll soon learn, lumber is a pretty critical component of the housing market, which even in the midst of record unemployment is booming. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, July saw a nearly 23% jump in U.S. home construction from the prior year at a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.496 million. At a glance, it would seem that the exodus out of our big cities, New York and San Francisco, is real and that this is a demand-driven phenomenon. But as we'll soon learn, there is a supply side to this market that has its own logic. We've asked Ashley Buckholt from Materials Exchange to help us make sense of the lumber market. Ashley has more or less spent his life in the lumber market. He started his career as an operator at his family's retail yard, then transitioned to a national wholesale distributor, then to Coke pulp and paper trading, where he managed lumber risk for institutional clients. More recently, he helped form a startup called Materials Exchange, a digital marketplace for forest products, including lumber and panels. We're excited to have Ashley join us. Okay, we're here with Ashley Buckle. Ash, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. You bet, John. Glad to be here. So, Ashley, I think before we begin, it might just be useful for our audience and for their benefit if you could tell them a little bit about your career and sort of really how that's representative of a larger transformational and technological shift that we're seeing across the industrial manufacturing sector. You bet, John. I'd be glad to. Um, without getting too deep into everything, uh, you know, they say that you really either get into the lumber industry one of two ways. You're either born into it or you get into it by accident. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I was born into it. So my father had a my parents had a small family lumber yard in a little town called Ingleside, Illinois, where probably 80% of the material went out on a pickup truck. I had to put everything away by hand. You know, we had a forklift and a big truck and a couple of employees, but I kind of cut my teeth, so to speak, in a small family lumber yard. Never really had any uh, intention of going back into the business, but uh, out of college, I worked as an internship at the Chicago Board of Trade, loved the whole trading aspect of it, um, but also decided, hey, you know, why can't I do this in lumber? Um, you know, in between working at the Board of Trade, and at night, I was, and on the weekends, I was still working at my father's lumber yard, read the Wall Street Journal one day. This was during one of the first big run-ups that we had in lumber, the spotted owl crisis back in the 90s, and uh, I know my father was having a hard time understanding price movement and volatility at a small lumber yard because technology back then was a fax machine. And I saw his frustration and I saw in the Wall Street Journal a, a, a company and person named Ted Block who helped write the lumber futures contact track in Chicago was, was quoted. So I called him, called him, called him, finally he called me back, jumped on a train and ended up working for him for almost, uh, for that company for almost 20 years and ended up as their vice president of sales. So I like to say I went from making coffee to vice president of sales. 
Uh, spent two years at another company called Sherwood, and then in 2011, I went down to a company called um, Coke, uh, the Coke out of Wichita, but this is their, their division in Houston, which was Coke Pulp and Paper Trading, where I learned and uh, helped uh, with the derivative side and the over-the-counter side on uh, pulp paper and lumber. And then in February of this year, I joined back up with an old partner from Block who is the original founder in Materials Exchange, and uh, we've, I've been there for six months. So hopefully that was helpful. No, it's been, it's been very helpful. And with respect to the changes in the market microstructure, this mm -hmm. has traditionally been a market that operates how? Via, over the phone, via email? Maybe you can get into how it typically yeah. Beyond beyond the CME contract, and it, it's it's, it's crazy, John. So uh, I would say it's interesting. We always have these conversations about technology in the industry, and you go to these sawmills and you see all this technology at their optimizers and these numbers going in, and and, and these saws are getting these these logs are getting scanned and data is being collected, and then you go to the end user to the to the lumberyards and uh, trust facilities and industrial facilities where they have all this tracking and so forth. But in the middle of the chain, I would say many times a lot of that information is lost, right? Um, it, it, so to boil it down to the simplest part, a lot of this market is still the good old-fashioned call-around market where a lot of the volume and trades are put together on phone calls between people that have been doing it for sometimes 50 years, right? Um, it's it's an industry that's starting to change in the, when I say the industry in the middle between the producers and the consumers, but it's uh, it's fighting it, but it's changing. But if you looked at if you looked at it how it is, it's uh, it's still rather antiquated on some of the parts of it. But then you get to the home center part and the VMAI parts. Uh, there's some pretty decent technology in the distribution chain, but it's very fragmented all over. And I think that's something that actually, um, you know, contributed to this run-up that we had. And it's, it's interesting. It's hard to imagine any other soft commodity being traded in that way. How, by what size would you estimate on a, on a notional basis, the size of the North American lumber market? Let's say if, if I'm going to guess on a truckload basis, 4 million truckloads and, uh, or 75 billion board feet, somewhere around there, 70 billion board feet on a, on a notional basis. So it's not uh, massive compared to some of the softs, and I may be off a little bit on those numbers, but people can go back and check. But uh, it's still big enough to be meaningful, right, because it, it's, uh, it's a commodity that um, you don't really think about until it, until, you're, until it makes a move and you, and you have to think about it and you're involved in it, right? I think that's right. And you know, I think for most of our listeners, they're probably, unless they're owners of, uh, of, of or manufacturers of lumber, their background with it probably doesn't extend much beyond going to Home Depot or the local hardware store. And so I think for many of them, uh, it would also be useful to understand what is lumber primarily used for, obviously housing, but what portion or what proportion of a housing of a house's total dollar cost is comprised of lumber? 
So, uh, uh, great question. And um, I was talking to some people this weekend about it, kind of draw a box around that. Um, but let's let's just talk about lumber here for a second. I think a lot of people, when they think of lumber, look at their desk from IKEA or, you know, or, um, you know, a post or a piece of. Uh, of trim or something like that, but the lumber we're talking about here is construction lumber, right? It's um, it's it's softwood construction lumber, uh, you know, two by fours through two by twelves that are used in the construction of a house. And also, when I'm talking forest products, I'm talking panel products like OSB oriented strand board, the engineered type of panel products, and plywood. So, how much of that, back to your question, is involved in the price of the house? Well, for <laughs> For many years, people, when you really break down the numbers, it didn't seem very meaningful because, first of all, it depends on the size of the house. If you have a starter house for 2,500 square feet versus a home for 4,500 square feet, obviously it's a quite a different price. But I think I read somewhere where the home building industry is a 10% industry. So let's say lumber uh, historically was the lumber package, let's say, was 5 to 8% the price of a house. Um, it's a lot, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it can be mitigated, right? It can be managed. You can pass it through. But all of a sudden, you see this large increase in lumber, uh, you know, 100% increase, then it's more meaningful, right? Especially when some of the other uh, commodities going into the house are also moving up. So I would say it's about... Five to seven percent, a price of a house, and people may argue it's more or less. But uh, I'm quite certain with the price of lumber today, it's a it's a little bit higher than that. And I don't have a statistic on how much that is right now, John. No, no worries. I think what also might be helpful here is for the listeners to understand the impact of species and how different types of lumber are used for different types of things. Not all. I guess trees are are created equal in this way. There are certain types of lumber that are used for construction. You mentioned plywood, which is, I, I think, I, as I understand, more used for concrete forming purposes. Maybe you can give folks an understanding of where the lumber comes from, what types of species sure. there are, and what they're used for. Sure. Well, think of it this way. Okay. So um, if you look at map of North America uh, and you look at Canada, there's a large amount of lumber produced up in the provinces of Canada, like BC, uh, Quebec, New Brunswick, um, Ontario, uh, Alberta. Now that lumber obviously is in a colder climate. It's spruce, pine, and fir. So it takes a lot longer for those trees to grow, right? So if you cut them in half and you looked at them, their growth rings would be tight, which means they are a little, uh, they're, they're a nice, it takes 25, 30 years to grow a tree up there. Tight growth rings has a, has a good product. You go down to the south, you can grow a tree in, let's say, 10 to 15 years. Also a pine product, um, but they, they can go into the same type of usage. So I think, the, I think one of the ways I wanted to answer that when I saw that, in a normalized market where prices haven't moved like they are, uh, like they have, uh, most species are used in different regions basically because <laughs> they always have been. The construction industry is no different 
than the lumber distribution or sales industry. So a carpenter grows up and he used this type of species with his dad. They want to continue to use that type of species when, in fact, they can use most other types. And I think what we've seen in this market, especially when I talk to the people I've talked to, that um, there's a lot of interchanging of species now uh, all over the place where there normally wasn't because now people just need fiber to build things. But, uh, you know, if you look in Canada, that Canadian lumber usually flows from British Columbia all the way back east across the Mississippi into the Midwest, down south, down into Arizona and those areas in Texas. If you look at lumber produced up in Oregon, uh, Washington, uh, California, a lot of that lumber stays out there. They don't dry some of it. It's called green dug fur. They do dry some of it, dry dug fur, and that moves everywhere in the United States. And then you add to it, you have lumber coming in from Europe that hits the East Coast now, all the way from Baltimore around over to Houston. And that product covers everything within 200 miles or more inland from all those ports it goes to. So I think species are important to look at. Uh, they all traded at different levels. Uh, and the CME contract, the Chicago Mercantile contract, is based on lumber produced in British Columbia. So I don't know how far you wanted to get in that, but the, that's reflective of what this, the 2 by 4 lumber produced in British Columbia is. Now, with that said, people trade all types of derivatives off the difference in price or the basis between that and all the other items. And you're, you're mentioning here what is in, I guess, in many respects, a sort of, from an economic perspective, a substitution effect. And yes. presumably that substitution effect is being driven by just extreme demand right now. Demand and price. So if somebody's building a multifamily house up in the Northeast and they normally don't use uh, dug fir or southern yellow pine, if they can get it and they can make the change, they'll use it, right? I'm not saying that would have happened a year ago because there was more availability for all the other products, but yeah, de demand and price completely drive the substitutions. What, in your view, is driving the demand right now? Is it low interest rates? Is it this these the, the mini exoduses coming from cities like New York and San Francisco? What is what is causing the run up? Well, let's let's like, so let's let's talk about it. And um, you so you know, we ended 2019 really decent in housing. Decent. I mean, we were moving back. Uh, Q1, uh, really good market. It was going to be okay. We're kind of humming along in the lumber market. Uh, things we're doing, we're doing well. All of a sudden, you know, COVID hits. Um, creates a whole bunch of uncertainty. So builders still had a decent backlog. But all of a sudden, traders and uh, decide to, they don't want to, uh, carry much inventory. They they make the assumption that, oh my gosh, with this whole COVID thing, we are really going to lose demand. So the pipeline drains, basically. I think people backed off of their VMIs at that point, their vendor-managed inventories with all the uncertainty also. So the amount of speculative wood out there at the end-use level, or excuse me, at the in the middle, at the wholesale and the distribution level, disappears. Uh, prices start to fall. So February 2020, we had a high of 463 on the CME, and then in April we dropped down to 259. So you think about that. That's the CME price. 
the spot cash price was even trading below that, right? And now we're below the cost of, let's say, quote-unquote, production, right? So another thing happens. Mills start cutting production for two reasons. The prices are low and the uncertainty. And also, with COVID, it's hard to run some mills with all the different dynamics we had going on there. Well, all right, so that, that happens. We're sitting down there. Nobody has any inventory. All of a sudden, uh, new home construction takes off. People start exiting the cities. Uh, they decide they want a house in the suburbs, or the people in the suburbs decide, I want to fix up an office. I want to put a deck on my house. I need to fix my my porch. Uh, you know, you start seeing a, a takeout, and next thing, the draw uh, in April and May from the home centers, the VMIs, kind of goes through the roof unexpectedly, right? Uh, so now you have mills that cut production, the pipeline is drained, and business is good, right? Um, prices start to go up. And, uh, you know, it's always, I believe, what causes prices to go up is where is the wood in the pipeline. If nobody has any, <laughs> prices go up. So you've had an, you had a whole, you just had a, uh, a an event that was unexpected, the way people reacted to it at first was was negative, and the exact opposite happened. I mean, if you look at April and May housing starts, also you kind of drop down, and then you look where we're at now, and you bounced right back. And all that was happening at the same time people were draining the pipeline. So that is <laughs> that is kind of my 101 on what happened. Right? Everybody expected one thing, acted as if that was going to happen. The opposite happens. And. Given that these mills have curtailed production, do you see them ramping up and over what time frame? So my short answer is yes. Um, I do see them ramping back up. And, and let's here, here's why. Um, if I go back and I look at and the, all the historical charts that I've seen on any commodity that have made a move like lumber, always move back uh, because people find a way to produce more of that product, right? It's, it's one, of those, uh, one of those issues where if lumber production on a CME basis, and again, I'll throw a number out here that I think is, that I, I believe and people can argue, but let's say the cost of production is around $320 U.S.-based versus the CME, right? Right now we're at 849 so um, I had an old boss always tell me one, it never, once, it never ceases to amaze him how fast an industry can react when they think that their margin is going to, can react with more inventory and more production, and yet at the same time think that things are different and their margins are going to stay like this forever. So mills are already doing it. They're already bringing on more production. They do have some COVID issues still they're working on, but they are bringing on more production. And it, in, in my opinion, they will, because prices are telling them to do it. The September contract for lumber currently trades at what right now about? Well, so it's funny. I, I looked last night, it was at 8.30, and this morning was at 8.49, right? At 8.50, um, where do you think it trades in December? Well, so, you know, where, where do I think? I, I know where it's trading in December right now because it shows, but it's, is the question more of where, 
where do I think it'll be when December comes? Yes. Yeah. So this is the one of those where we strap the surgical mask on, right, John? Yes. Okay. So, you know, this, this is my own opinion, and this is what I see. So September right now is at about 849. Uh, and I think just for a little perspective here, the, 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 the highest the contract has ever been was in 2018. I believe it was around 650 uh, in May of 2018. So you can see uh, how big of a difference that is. Uh, November is at 787. January is at 722. March is at 671. And May is at 615. So the trading term, obviously, the market's backward dated, right? Um, what I think is going to happen between now and the expiration of September, which is September 15th, uh, I think the market puts in a top, and I think we're on our way to already uh, to already doing that, to, to blowing off. When you think about, and, and, and you're saying the market is, each, each successive contract is listing the price at a lesser price yep. than one that preceded it. Mm -hmm. To what extent does that reflect seasonality in the contract generally, or to what extent does that just reflect the fact that the market doesn't believe it can sustain such high prices? It just, it, it's just telling you you're in a, uh, a market, obviously a bull market currently where people, the, the price of wood to be delivered immediately is, is worth more than the, the, the price in the, in the back months. So when I say September's at 849, that's the, that's the CME price I am guessing. And from what I've heard, the actual physical market is trading at a large premium to that. Uh, so really just what a market tells you is that it's, it's still running. Um, I did notice some of those, you'll, you may notice some of those backs start to move up higher than the fronts and that's when you'll see it may be starting to run over or go into, as they say, a contango type of market. And that's when you know a market is, is, is turning a little bit. But, but the seasonality, um, the historical seasonality is we usually made our highs in mid-March to April. And the crazy thing is there, when you think about it, that's when people during this were actually liquidating their inventories, right? So during a seasonal high, normal seasonal high, people were actually liquidating inventory. Then it usually adjusts back. It moves up into July and August because there are summer shutdowns in some of the Canadian mills. And, uh, and then it rolls over uh, to some point now into September because people build up an inventory for, for December. That's normal seasonality. I would say this, this year's seasonality uh, is probably um, a little a little less in play because people are just scrambling to, to get lumber. When we talk about the impacts of COVID and the, the bull market, those seem like short-term trends. Mm -hmm. There have been rumblings in the market about pine beetles for yeah. quite some time now. How real of a threat or not is the, is the pine beetle? So the pine beetle, uh, really, John, was something that uh, – uh, that hit Canada and, you know, parts of the U.S., but I think some of the parts of the U.S. that really didn't have a lot of lumber production, like Colorado. But um, 
the pine beetle hit, you know, 15 years ago, probably started in Canada, and they built a lot of mills to help to help cut that fiber. So most of the pine beetle itself, the infestation, I think has been taken care of, but the end result is the mills in Canada built a lot of mills to handle that, that now have cut most of that and uh, don't have the same amount of fiber anymore. So the mountain beetles affect today is that a lot of these big Canadian mills don't have as much of a fiber basket to cut out of which means that that fiber has to be found somewhere else, whether it's in the south or from Europe or from other provinces uh, or other places in the Pacific Northwest, they have to make up for that. But as far as any more infestations by the beetle, I don't think there is uh, much on the horizon for that. I think that's kind of been taken care of. Ash, this was a great primer on the lumber market. I'm really happy that you could join us here today and where can people learn more about the lumber market from you? Yeah, so uh, first of all, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't tell them that uh, you know Materials Exchange we're one of the places you can go to. It's it's uh, Materials with an Xchange dot com, and uh, you know sign up to buy and sell lumber on it and get real time data. Um, Anybody can go to my LinkedIn profile and connect with me. I'm always happy to talk lumber with them. Uh, other places that you can get it. I look at some of the similar things that everybody else looks at. Uh, housing starts, uh, new home sales, uh, inventory of existing homes, all types of things, which you can just obviously use your favorite browser and find those. But um, like I said, I'm always free to talk to anybody. Thanks so much, Ash. Really appreciate it. You bet, John.